All right. Well, we're finishing John 4 today. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is how important this is, okay? So important, I didn't even bring a notebook so I can't get distracted, okay? I left my notebook at home because that notebook is going to get me in trouble on ending this thing because I could get stuck in several spots here that I don't need to get stuck in that we don't actually have to sit and and beat the same horse over and over with. Amen? I know that this ending portion of John 4 is going to be very vital to our understanding of the book of John. And before I get to any of this, I want to go back and review just where we're at in the book of John. Amen? And I want to review very first, the very first thing I want to review is I want you to turn with me to John chapter 20. Okay? John chapter 20 because I don't want you to forget this when you're reading can I get an amen John chapter 20 verse 30 now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Now, this is John's whole reason for writing this gospel. Amen? Now, this is a good point. I want you to look up here at me real quick because this is a very vital point for you to understand how the will of God works in tandem with the will of man, okay? This is very important, okay? Can we all agree that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished for every good work, amen? So God breathed out every scripture that we read. Amen? Now, God did not physically write them down. People did. Can we get an amen on that? Amen. So here we see God's will is that the scriptures be given to us for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Amen? amen. They're breathed out by him. But we also see John's purpose in writing this gospel. John says that Jesus did many other signs in miracles in the presence of the disciples that cannot be written down. There were so many things that Jesus did and said that they couldn't write them all down. Okay? John says this in verse 21, but these are written that you might know that Jesus is the Christ. John, that's, uh, excuse me, that's verse 31, 31. But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. Amen? So I want you to understand that everything that we've went through all of this time in John has everything to do with this verse. Amen? Because everything John wrote was so that you would know that Jesus is the Christ. That's his whole purpose. He says so in his own handwriting, his own words. I write these things that you would believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing, you'll have life 
in his name. So we're going to do a little recap here. We started in John 1.1 a long while ago now. I don't even remember how long. I wouldn't even venture to guess that it's been three or four months since we started this, okay? We spent how many weeks on John 1? 11 weeks. Because there's a lot in John 1. What did we learn in John 1? Well, we learned that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and nothing was made that was made without Him. Amen? Amen. That Jesus, this, the Word of God, when you begin this, you understand that it, He's talking about a person, and then it comes down to John testifying that Jesus is the Christ. The Word of God made flesh. What does it mean, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? Well, it means exactly what Matthew 1 says it means. He said, when the angel came to Joseph, he said, His name shall be called Jesus, because he will save his people from, his sin, from their sins. And this is to fulfill the prophet who said, The virgin shall be with child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we found Jesus not being just a man, but being both God and man. Very much God and very much man. Amen? Chapter 2, we beheld his first miracle in Canaan, Galilee, where he turned water into wine. And it was the very first time that John records, and he says, this was the first sign that Jesus did and his disciples believed upon him we see the marriage supper at Cana and straight from there <laughs> Jesus goes into uh, excuse me he goes into Judah or Judea to Jerusalem to talk to Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews, who was, who was wise in all the scriptures and who, who was a teacher of Israel. And Jesus looked at that man who thought he had everything together and he said, you, you, the one that has all the PhDs and the MSDs and all the other stuff right behind your name there, all the alphabet letters that says, oh, you know the word of God. You must be born again. What's really telling about that story is, look, Bible degrees don't mean you're saved. You, anybody can go to Bible college. You realize that? Every person that can pay to go to Bible college can go to Bible college. But that doesn't mean that God called them. That doesn't mean that God wants them doing that. Amen? And this man who had all the knowledge of Israel, this man who, who knew all the law and followed the law and was a teacher of the law, Jesus looked at him and said, you must be born again. Amen? From there we went to the most famous part of this chapter that describes what it means to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? Somebody tell me what it means to be born again. Have new life. Amen. Yes. Jesus as the Savior of my life. Amen. 
Now, we talked very thoroughly about how that happens. Amen? We talked very thoroughly that no one ever knows God until God comes and meets them. Because here's the thing. I remember telling my testimony like this for many years. My testimony sounded like this. Well, the day I found Jesus. Now, first of all, Jesus wasn't lost. Okay? I was. Okay? Can we get that straight? Amen? I'm the one that's lost. I'm the one that's uh, undone. I'm the one that's dead in my trespasses and sin. I didn't find Christ. He found me. Amen? And that is the same story that every person that ever gets saved has, is that Jesus finds you. Jesus finds you just like Jesus found Nicodemus. Jesus finds you just like Jesus found the woman at the well. Can I get an amen? So this born-again experience is done by the Spirit of God. That's what we found out because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him, well, how do I believe in him? you got to go back to John 3.3, John 3.5, where it says, You must be born again. You must be born of water and of the Spirit. You must have an encounter with Christ. Amen? Which leads us right to the woman at the well. Right? This is chapter 4. This is all the farther we've got, okay? And we've encountered all kinds of doctrine all the way here, right? We, we've talked about uh, God's will, man's will. We've talked about the atonement. We talked about the sacrifice. We talked about Jesus being the incarnate word. We talked about the Trinity. We talked about all kinds of things getting up to John 4 here. And we see this woman at the well. Amen? Now this woman at the well is just like you and me. Living her life, trying to do her own thing. All she came there was for water. Amen? She came there just to get water. But instead walked away with eternal life. And this is how all of us find Christ. This is how all of us are found of Christ. We're in the midst of our own life. We're in the midst of doing our own thing. And then Jesus shows up. Amen? So it leads us right here to where the disciples were last week when we talked about the disciples and how Jesus told them that he had food that they did not know about. Jesus told them that they had that he had food that they didn't know anything about. And then he said that he was getting them ready for the harvest. And that's where we left off last week. Last week we left off right here at John chapter 4 verse 36. He said, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered in to their labor. Amen. So let's begin at John 4, chapter, uh, John 4, verse 39. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So that when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. 
And many more believed because of his words. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After two days, he departed from Gal or for Galilee, excuse me, for Jesus himself had testified that the prophets had no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having all having seen all that he, he had done in Jerusalem, excuse me, at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came to Cana of Galilee, where he had made water into wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. This man heard that Jesus had come to Judea to Galilee, from Judea to Galilee. He went to him and asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus said unto him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them about the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that what was that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he come from Judea to Galilee. Let us pray. Father God, we ask right now that you would help us. As we have read your word, God, we pray that you would hide it in our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would help us to meditate on it. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would teach us, lead us, and guide us in the truth of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first thing that I want you to understand is that Jesus has just came and told the disciples he's going to send them to reap a harvest. And all of a sudden, here comes all these Samaritans up the hill. Amen. Now to you and me, it doesn't seem like a big deal that these Samaritans are coming. But the reality of the Samaritans is coming is even before the cross, Jesus was reaching out to all people. Not just Jews, but all people. Amen. This is showing that Jesus is welcoming all people. The Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And the point that I want to make on just this paragraph, okay? There's two points in this paragraph that I really want to make, and I'm going to get there. He says, he told them all that he did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay, and they stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his words. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Two things I want to notice. Number one, the woman believed because she had an encounter with Christ, not because anybody else told her. Now I'm telling you, 
pastors, preachers, church members. The gospel is for every one of us to preach. But until they have an encounter with God, they're only going to believe what you said and they won't really have a, a relationship of their own. There's a difference between mentally believing what you say and actually having an encounter with Jesus Christ at your own well. Having an actual encounter where Jesus shows up and tells you, you must be born again. I went to church for a long time before I was sitting in the church service one day. Pastor Jerry Stafford, it was an evening, Sunday evening service, and he was preaching about the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin and of righteousness. And I was sitting in that pew, and I had sat there and heard the gospel time and time again. And I went to church, and oh yeah, I believe because my grandma believed, and I believe because this person said so, and I believe because that person said so. But one day, I met Christ myself. And he found me. He sought me out. Remember that old song? He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. I loved him and I knew him. And all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Because he found you. He sought you out. He didn't wait around for you to find him. Because the reality is, if God has to wait around for you, a dead person, dead, lifeless, in sin, not seeking God, not trying to live for God, God ain't waiting around for you to find him. Because if it was left up to you, you would never find him. Because you're groping in the dark. And you're running after things before Christ that didn't have anything to do with God. Amen? That's why Paul's words in Romans 3 are so true. And he's quoting the Old Testament. He said, there's none that does good. There's none that seeks after God. There's not one righteous. No, not one. Why? Because before I met Christ, I was dead, lifeless, in sin. An enemy of God. Separated from God. But God demonstrated his love for me. That while I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. The realities that this verse brings to my mind. Is the fact that Jesus came and met these people. Right where they were. Now, they came because brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so said, right? They came because this Samaritan woman said, hey, I found a man. Remember, we preached a couple weeks ago. Come and see a man. That's what she told them, right? Come and see a man who's told me all things, right? But when they got there, they didn't believe because what she said. They said, we believe now because we've heard and we believe and we know that he's the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, that's the second point I want to make. Number two in this paragraph, we got to qualify this statement. Because this statement that Jesus is the Savior of the world is spoken by people who are outside of the law. They're not understanding this from a law perspective. 
Amen? They didn't believe all of the Old Testament. They only believed the first five books, the Samaritans. They only believed the first five books of the Bible. So they had limited information. Savior of the world is qualified by this. The only people in the world that Jesus saves are them that believe. That's it. That's, that's as true a fact as you can find. John 3.17 and 3.18 clear this up. To all them that believe, they're not condemned. But to those who don't believe, they stand condemned already because they will not believe in the name of the one and only Son of God. Amen? The reality is Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to save his sheep. He came to save those who believe. Amen? So when we qualify, we got to qualify this world, this statement that Jesus is the Savior of the world. This statement doesn't mean he's saving everybody on the planet. What it means is he's saving people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation on this planet who believe. Amen? Because the reality is this statement is talking about not just Jews only. That's the world that this, when we say he's the savior of the world, we're qualifying it with that. That he didn't just came to, he didn't just come to save Jews, but Gentiles alike. Amen? So that's what he's talking about. I want to clarify that because people will take that verse and say, see, it says he's going to save the whole world. So everybody's going to get saved. We don't even have to preach. Okay, so you explain to me why anybody's going to hell in the book of Revelations if he's saving everybody. Okay, your theology doesn't match what the rest of the Bible says. Amen. He's not saving everybody. He saves only them that believe. Period. End of story. Okay, and we can get mad at, at uh, people who think uh, predestination's one thing, and then uh, people think predestination's another thing. But the reality is, both camps believe God's only saving those who believe. Both camps. Amen. God doesn't save those who won't believe. Amen? The Bible says that. Now, we don't know who's going to believe and who ain't going to believe. So we preach the gospel to everybody. Amen? I don't know. You don't know. Why? Because we're not God, first of all. Okay? Maybe I need to say that again. Because some people that may be watching on Facebook... You know, sitting at home and they couldn't be here today because they're sick or whatever, okay? But you're not God and you're not in control. I hate to bust everybody's bubble. You ain't God and you ain't in control. And today, you may have just heard it for the first time, but I'm telling you, you're not in control. I know a lot of us really struggle with the fact that we're not in control. We're like, why can't you do it my way, God? Why, why can't you? Why aren't you listening to my prayer, God? It sounds like you're listening to their prayer. It sounds like you're listening to their prayer. But what about my kids? What about these needs I've been praying about, God? What about these things? Amen? Don't we all don't look at me like I'm the only one that ever done that, okay? Don't look at me like I'm the only one that looked at God and go, really? But here's the thing. That's how I know that God doesn't come down and take counsel from you and go, oh, wonder if you think I ought to do this. I wonder if you think I ought to do that. So, you know, if you hear a preacher that tells you God came and asked them what they think he should do, just turn the channel. Turn the radio off. Don't listen no more because God ain't asking you what you think he ought to do. He doesn't take counsel from you. 
Who are we to counsel God? We're a lump of clay looking up at the potter going, nope, don't do it like that. No, that's impossible. Come on now. That was the second thing I wanted to get out of there. Jesus come to save those who believe. Amen. He is the savior of the world. And that world means Jew and Gentile alike. Black, red, yellow, black, and white, all the precious in his sight, right? In the, in the book of Revelation, what we see is we see a sea of glass with people robed in white from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Amen? Praise the Lord. How y'all doing? Good. I'm doing good. What we see in there in the book of Revelation is this statement come true. That people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Amen? And it's all qualified on whether they believe in Christ or not. Amen? The realities that we face in preaching the gospel is we only get to preach it. God is the one that saves anybody ever. Amen? Finally, I want to get down to the last portion of this. He says, after two days, he departed into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they, too, had gone to the feast. Now I want to talk about this last paragraph. We got about another, uh, I don't know, about another nine verses here. It says he came into Canaan in Galilee. Now, I want you to understand that John finishes this paragraph with the statement that I told you earlier that this was the second sign. The first sign was done in Canaan. The second sign is done in Canaan. Canaan's got some pretty important, uh, it's a pretty important place apparently, okay? He did his first sign there and he's about to do his second sign in Canaan of Galilee. Verse 46, so he came again unto Canaan of Galilee where he turned water into wine and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went up and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was to the point of death. Now, I want to stop right here because there's a lot of people that get this story confused with the story of the centurion whose son was sick. Matthew chapter 8. Okay? But the centurion comes to Jesus in Capernaum, not in Canaan. Long ways away from each other. Several towns in between there. Okay? And the Greek word for centurion and the Greek word here for official are not the same word. So it's not a centurion in this instance. The word here actually used means a nobleman or a, uh, a nobleman's uh, servant, like the first-hand man, his right-hand man, right? Being owned by a nobleman. So this nobleman comes to Christ, and this nobleman doesn't tell him, oh no, Jesus, you can't come into my house. I'm not worthy of you coming into my house. Just say the word, remember? That's what the centurion said, right? Jesus said, I'll go and heal your son, and he said, oh no, 
I, I'm not worthy for you to come in under my house. This is Matthew chapter 8, right? He says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house, but just say the word because I am a man in authority and understand the authority. And if I say to this one, he goes. If I say to that one, come. And he comes. He said, and I know that if you say the word, my servant will be healed. Jesus looked at his disciples and looked at this man. He said, no greater faith have I found in all of Israel. He found it in a Roman centurion. That was Matthew chapter 8. Luke chapter 7 has the same story. This is not the same instance. This is not the same story. This story happened in Canaan. This was a nobleman. And this nobleman did not ask Jesus, oh, no, don't come to my house. He actually asked him to come to his house. Amen. So the story is quite different. But I want you to understand all of this leading up to John 1, word of God becoming flesh, word of God coming to testify, John testifying, Jesus coming to Nicodemus, telling him you must be born again, Jesus coming to the woman at the well, telling her that she needs the water of eternal life, Jesus looking at his disciples and saying you need to get ready because the harvest is coming. And then here we are, we see all the, the, the people from Samaria coming up the hill and they all met Jesus and they walked away, many believing in him because they had met Christ. Amen? And this man has an encounter with Christ. Christ healed his son from towns away. Between Canaan and Capernaum are about four other towns. And Jesus just spoke a word at about the seventh hour. And that man's son was made well. And it took that man so long to get back that he had to check on it with his servants. His servant ran out to meet him and said, hey, your son's better. And he's like, well, what time did this happen? And he's like, I just left, you know, Canaan and I was on my way back because Jesus said my son was healed. And, it, and the guy said, I don't know, I think it was about the seventh hour. And he said, that was the time that Jesus said, your son will be whole. What does it say? I want you to flip over here to verse 53. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said unto him, your son will live. And he himself believed. And all of his household this is now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come to Judea, from Judea to Galilee. Now there's another point that I want to make in here, and this is it. And this is what our church needs. This is what every other church in Coffeeville needs because we are lacking men who follow Christ. We're lacking men who love God. The reality is, I can throw this statistic out to you all day long, but the truth is this. If the father in the house gets saved, 95% chance that every person in the family begins to go to church, begins to follow Christ, and gives their heart to Christ. 95% chance happens almost every time. When the mother is the only one that comes to church, that number drops to about 70% of the time that it's the mom, if the mom gets saved first, that the husband will then get saved. 
and then the whole family will go to church. But here's the reality that we live in. We live in fatherless homes and motherless homes, broken families, and the statistics go way down. When it's just the, because everybody does this, okay? And I'm gonna tell you the mistake that we're making in modern church. They'll go, if we get the kids, we'll get their parents. No, you will not. The reality is that the statistic drops vastly. If it's just the child that gets saved, there's only a 45% chance that anyone else in the family is coming to church. Brothers and sisters, we, I love kids. I have four kids of my own. We love all the babies that come to our church when everybody's here. If, if we had everybody here at church every week, we'd have around 60 people, okay? And it'd be great, and we'd all be jumping for joy, right? But reaching the kids is not the answer. You have to reach their parents. We have to be willing. Here's what happens. We're really good at talking to kids. We're like, oh, believe in God. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I believe. reason we don't like talking to moms and dads is because they don't want to believe. They're, they're really hard-hearted by this point, right? They're really in the world. They're really in sin. And we really don't know how to talk to them and proclaim the gospel to them. We don't know how to show them the love of God. We don't know how to answer tough questions when they ask us tough questions, right? So we just don't do it. And all the while, the world... It's gotten worse, worse, worse. I want you to notice the statement that John purposefully puts in here. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said unto him, your son will live. Now watch this. And he believed and his whole household. We can't just be about getting kids. We can't just be about getting men. We can't just be about getting women. We got to be about getting people, families. Amen? We need, we need to, when, when somebody new starts coming to church, we need to go, hey, how are you doing? We need to learn about them. We need to find out about them. And then we go, hey, hey, you got a husband? Why ain't he coming to church? Maybe I can go talk to him. Maybe you can go talk to him. Maybe, amen? But we do that. Or we, let, we don't do that, rather, because so often we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of, uh, of looking silly. We're afraid of not being able to answer all the questions. Here's what I learned about talking to people. If you act like you know everything, they're not going to listen to you anyway. If you always have the answer and you're the one that has to be right and you're the one that knows best, they're not listening to you anyway. Because they don't feel loved. They don't feel welcome. They don't feel like they're the ones that you're after. Amen? This goes back to last week. Jesus was telling his disciples, you really believe in me? Then get ready for the harvest because it's here. If he said, lift up your eyes, look, the fields are white with harvest. Why? Why lift my eyes up? Because so often we just get stuck on our own self that we're not looking that way. Don't let your following Christ be an excuse to not reach other people. Because following Christ is reaching other people. He didn't call you just so you could sit on a pew and warm a bench. 
And it's not my job to win everybody in Coffeeville. It's our job. Amen. Now, here's another statistic I want you to know about. This church ain't going to win Coffeeville by itself. It ain't going to win Coffeeville without the help of all these other churches. It ain't going to do it. The church down the road ain't going to do it by themselves. The church down the road ain't going to do it by themselves. The other church down the road ain't going to do it by themselves. We got to be willing to love each other, work together, and win Coffeeville for Christ. Can't be about a name. I'm not here to build up my name. I don't care if anybody ever remembers Kevin O'Connor. If they, as long as they remember Kevin loved Jesus. Kevin told me about Christ. Kevin told me the gospel. That's all I care. Anybody ever remembers about me. I don't even care if they remember the name of God Bay Fellowship Church either. As long as they know, yeah, that church down there, they know Jesus. They'll tell you about Jesus. They'll love you. They'll welcome you in. They'll try to help you. They'll try to walk with you. They'll pray with you. Amen? That's all I care about. Glorifying Christ. We could change the name on the outside of this building. It wouldn't make me no never mind. We need to be about the harvest. We got to be. The world is in the shape that it's in because the church for the last 50 years has done this. We just sit down, shut up, don't make too much noise, don't cause too much trouble, don't say nothing too controversial. And all the while, the world just keeps winning and encroaching and driving in on us. And it's darted in the pulpits, and I blame pastors for allowing the world in the door without challenging it. Without saying, no, we won't do things just because it makes people happy. We won't do things just because it'll make... Do you realize that when this last year, around this same time, we could have just went back to how it was and, and just let any old thing do any old thing and have 80, 90 people. We could do that. But it's real pointless if they're not really coming to know Christ. And that's the point. That's the point of the church is that other people see Jesus in you and other people hear about Jesus from you. That's the point of the church. And if we're not doing this, we're doing it wrong. Now this was the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. And we end verse, or chapter 4 right there. I don't know how many weeks we've been on John, but we've been on John quite a long while now. We're going to keep going because there's a lot to learn. But this all goes back to John 20, verse 31. I'm going to go read it again just so you can get it in your heart, in your spirit, so, you, so you'll remember this. John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you'll have life in his name. I'm telling you, 
you're not going to win anybody anytime with just there, there's there's several ways that we quote unquote evangelize today okay uh, and people go to other people and and come here Kyle I want to use you for an example for a second they'll, they'll go up to people and they say well you know God loves you right God wants to God wants to change your life. Do you believe that? Everybody says sure to that. Everybody says yes, okay? But that ain't the gospel. Tell them that God loves them, that's not just the gospel, okay? Yeah, God does love them, okay? But God loved them in a specific way. Amen. Uh, Here's another way we think we evangelize, okay? I'm just doing this purposely so I can make a point, but here's another way. Uh, you, got any, you got any problems in your life that I can pray with you about? Like, you need a prayer for your finances? Or are, you, are you hurting? Are you sick? Yeah, I can use yeah, more money. Yeah, sure. Yeah, everybody wants money. Everybody wants to feel better, right? Asking people if they want prayer for finances or now that's a good thing but it's not evangelism okay evangelism is a specific thing okay you can go sit down thank you evangelism is a specific thing the specifics is the gospel and the gospel isn't just that god loved you okay you want the gospel in a nutshell and i'm gonna close my bible so you guys know i ain't reading nothing okay I'm going to show you, it's this, this easy to remember, okay? The gospel is this. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. Who's the lost? Every person that doesn't know him is lost. Every person that doesn't know him are sinners who need saving. They're not just good people. Oh, just a good old boy. Even that good old boy you know is lost and, and undone. He is in sin and doesn't know Christ. And he must realize that he needs Christ. Okay? He must know that. So the, the way that people have been trying to do evangelism nowadays where it's like, oh, you're just good and God loves you just like you are. And, and that's all true. But God doesn't love you just like you are so he can leave you there. God doesn't love you just like you are so that you come to him and think, I don't have to change. Because that's not the gospel either. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Or he cannot be my disciple. Period. So we must know we need Christ. So we have to tell them, look, every one of us are sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, amen? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one righteous. That includes you. That includes me. And if you haven't come to know Christ, that's definitely you. And they must see that. And then you have to tell them, but this is the good news. That while you were dead in your sins and trespasses, God loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross and pay the price for your sin. He died an atoning, sacrificial death that paid the price for your sin, my sin, and every other person's sin who would believe. 
So that when God, the Son, were the Word of God, the Son of God, God incarnate, went to the cross, God poured out the wrath of sin upon Christ on the cross so that when God looks at you, when you receive Christ, God sees Christ, and when He looks at Christ, He sees you. God demonstrated His love in a very specific way that he loved himself and gave himself for you. Amen. Rome, or, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 is the gospel. He says, he says, this is the gospel which I deliver unto you, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was dead, buried, and rose again according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. What Jesus did to save me. What Jesus did to save you. What Jesus did to save all who believe. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world he gave. Do you understand this is the context of the word gave? In John 3, 16, this gave isn't the fact that God sent his son into the world. It's the fact that he gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for sin so that you, if you believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, if you believe that in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord, Romans 10 and 9, you shall be saved. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't, oh, God wants to give you money. God wants to give you cars. God wants to do, that's not the gospel. Are those benefits of being with Christ? Sure, God provides for his people. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is God sent his son to save you from sin and death. That's the gospel. That's what people have to hear. Everything else is just a work outside of that. Sure, I pray for the lost. Sure, I pray for those who believe. Sure, I ask God to heal people. Sure, I ask God to help people with their finances. But if I don't offer Christ, I have not preached Christ. There's an offer that has to be made. There's a response that has to be done. Amen? This is true in every sense of the word. This is what this made me think of when I read this part of this chapter. So I purposefully left my notebook at home because I would get trapped in explaining all these details of this thing and that thing and another thing, which I could have. I mean, we could have went into detail about why the story in Matthew 8 and the story in Matthew or Luke 7 was different than the, 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 this nobleman. Could have went into all kinds of detail about that. But that wasn't the point of this paragraph. And that's not the point of why John wrote this book. The point is so that you guys, those who are watching on Facebook, the ones that are going to listen to this podcast, so that they can hear the gospel and believe that Jesus loved them, gave himself for them, rose from the dead so that they could be justified before the Father. That's the gospel. And shame on us if we don't preach it. Amen. Stand to your feet. Father God, we come to you this morning. 
with hearts, God, that are on fire. God, with souls and spirits that have been renewed by the hearing of the word of God, by the preaching of the word of God. Lord, and I know that there could be people watching. There could be people watching on Facebook. There could be people that listen to this uh, uh, podcast, God. There could be people standing in this room right now, God, who may have felt like, oh, I'm not really doing enough. I'm not really doing, uh, not really where I should be. I'm not really doing what I think I should be doing. God, I ask you to help those people this morning. Help them to determine in their hearts and minds, God. Strengthen them. Build them up in their spirit, God. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen them in their inner man like Paul prayed for the Ephesians. That they would be built together with all the other saints. That they would know and comprehend what is the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And that they would share it with other people. God, I pray for those who may not have known you before this, God, that I pray for those who, who may not have understood the truth or understood the gospel or had received Christ. I pray, God, that even while we were preaching, even while this message is going out, God, that you are drawing those hearts, God, that you are calling those people unto repentance, God, that you are calling them to believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Not for our glory, not for the glory of any other man or any other church, but for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, who is heir of all things, Lord of all things. All power in heaven and earth has been given unto him. And all glory belongs to him. God, we ask that you would seek and save all those that you will. If there is anyone that heard this this morning, Heard, the, heard this message, God, and they believe we rejoice. If there's anybody that heard this message and didn't, God, we pray that you would continue to draw them, seek them, send people their way to give them another opportunity. God, we ask that you would bless the fellowship that we're about to partake of when we go and eat, God. Pray that you would help us, help this fellowship nourish our bodies as we eat this food and love one another in fellowship with you. Lord, we ask that you would do in us a mighty thing for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.